It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. This week, we're chatting with Stephen Winbrandt of Winbrandt Farms Biodynamic Compost. Stephen turned his backyard into a thriving biodynamic farm, producing giant tomatoes and other vibrant vegetables for restaurants, CSAs, and private clients. He's crafted more than 100,000 pounds of biodynamic compost with his own two hands before expanding to a larger operation to reach a wider audience of farmers and hobbyists. And Stephen now consults and teaches his craft to academic and gardening institutions worldwide. Thanks so much for joining me, Stephen. What a pleasure, Christy. Thanks for having me. We met ages ago, it seems, when you were just starting out. I can't even remember who introduced us, but um, you were aglow with shiny enthusiasm back then, and I dare say you are still or even more shiny now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What triggered your interest in biodynamics and composting? (laughs) Great question. And um, wow, thank you so much for giving me that visual. visual. I was just thinking too, how far back we go. And it's to the beginning of my journey of what, what I, I had no idea then would become a central passion and mission and Mm -hmm. career and, and journey of my life, um, my journey in agriculture. So in 2009, I'm going to give some, some dates away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was at the very, the very end of the decade of my twenties. And I spent uh, the, the greater portion of that decade as far away in the world as I could get from my hometown of Los Angeles that I love very much and always come home to, uh, uh, traveling and working and studying and living abroad and having adventures abroad. And I came back home to my childhood home in West Los Angeles, and I was standing in the kitchen looking through the kitchen window at this backyard of weeds and 50 foot trees, the shaded backyard. And I really wanted to, I knew that this, this decade was coming to an end and this time in my life was coming. I mean, I'll always have wanderlust, but I really was feeling the transition to start rooting mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> and, and, and building, building something. And for like every reason under the sun, I decided I wanted to create something. I decided that I wanted to grow my own food. I wanted to experience growing my own food. I wanted to become more self-sufficient and self-reliant and understand where food is, comes from and how it's grown. I was, I was becoming even increasingly distrusting of like even food I got from the farmer's market sometimes, that the folks who were selling it weren't necessarily the folks growing it. I didn't really know what questions to ask you know, is it organic? Like, what does that even mean? There's this whole lowest common denominator of, of organic agriculture, quote unquote, which doesn't necessarily mean all that much, but in its highest incarnation, it is potentially leading humanity into an age of greater thriving and and harmony with mother nature. And so I didn't know what questions to ask. And, and I just wanted to know that I was eating the cleanest, purest, most high vibe, food I could get my mouth on Uh and and I'm going to keep going. I wanted to, I wanted to see if I could make money doing it. I wanted to see if I could create local economy 
and take the super out of supermarket and just, and be the change that I wanted to see in the food system. So that, that was, yeah. That was the beginning. That was the beginning of the beginning. And I didn't even tell, so, so this is a, in, in West LA, my childhood home where my mom still lives and raised me. Uh, this is a, uh, original 1940s house. It's a little house and a big backyard and not big, but for West LA standards, big 40 by 60 rectangle. My father died when I was three. My mom, uh, my grandparents helped my mom pay off the house. She didn't know if she'd be able to keep the house. I have no idea how she gave me the opportunities that the other kids growing up in this area of West LA had, but she got, she took me to all my soccer games and all the got me scholarships for camps. And she was incredible. One of the reasons why I'm saying this is because the name Winbrandt farms pays homage to my parents who they thought I mean, my, it was made my, that my dad had a business and made the money that he made young and that we were, I was even able to have grow up in this house and then my, my mom, when I asked her, Hey, can I make a garden in the backyard? And I just wanted to, you know, I, I, I kept it a secret cause I didn't even know if I could do it. I had never uh-huh. grown anything in my life. And she just thought I was going to make a little garden in one corner. And, and so then I'm like, I'm I, the whole, these Chinese elms cover the entire backyard. They're 50 feet tall more. And I'm like, I, we need sun back here. I don't know much, but I know we need sun. Mm-hmm. And so I'm up there. 50 feet up with my rock climbing harness and a bicycle helmet and an electric chainsaw chopping thousands of pounds of branches. And I almost killed myself and I almost branches almost fell like into the roof of the house numerous times, but they didn't. <laughs> and, um, and then, and weeks later I'm hoeing up all the weeds. I mean, these big piles of weeds that look like out of a Monet painting. Mm-hmm. And she's like, wow, you're really serious. <laughs> You weren't messing around. I've seen the pictures. It's pretty uh-huh. impressive. Uh-huh. Yeah. You decided to turn this guard, this kind of, you know, crazy overgrown space into a productive farm. And along the way, somehow uh-huh. you discovered biodynamics. It, what made you go in that direction while you were figuring all this out? Or did that happen separately? So I'm hoeing up the weeds, I'm cutting the trees and it's time for some really big branches to be cut. And I feel, I grew up climbing these trees and, you know, archeological digging underneath their magnificent canopies. And, and I said, mom, I think we've got to cut these trees way, way back. And she said, okay, you know, I see you're really serious. And I go, but we can't, they're like, they're these majestic, glorious trees. And, you know, it may decrease the value of the house. I don't know. And she says, well, then don't cut them. Don't cut them. I said, but we have to cut them. We need sun. <laughs> So I'm, it's been six months and I'm prepping the backyard. Like it took so many months to even get the backyard. I mean, from, from all shade to all sun. And just as I was getting to the point where I was looking into how I was going to cultivate the living skin of the earth, a a phrase I very much love to, to say, my mom's boss at the time said to her, she heard about what I was doing and said, uh, there's this wonderful man I know who I would like to connect. Stephen with. And I learned that Michael, who became my first mentor, he's a hidden master. He studied at UC Santa Cruz in the seventies, um, and learned from the wisdom of Alan Chadwick Mm -hmm. and John Jevons, pioneer organic biodynamic farmers. And he took me under his wing and propelled me eons ahead of where I would have otherwise been as a newbie farmer. And he saw what I had done already in pictures 
and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you how to make and walk you through making tens of thousands of pounds of compost. I see your vision. Cause I want, I told him I wanted to grow the shit out of every square inch of this, <laughs> of this yard and mm-hmm. make an urban mini farm. That's my, and and, and I always tell people to start small, start with one bed. And I did the opposite. Opposite. Um, yeah, of course. Cause that's until you. he said, I that's see you. you. <laughs> that's who I am. He said, I see you. You've got it in you. People are going to think you're nuts and you're going to grow the most amazing food people have ever seen. And we talked about what was in, in the bioregion, what I could use as different resources for ingredients, how to put them together. I did things like went to Euphoria Loves Raw Evolution, this raw vegan restaurant in Santa Monica, every third night at midnight for three months and collected thousands of pounds of their uh, food waste. And before I had my truck, it was in the back trunk of my Toyota Camry, just like dripping out on the pen, like going home, just like, just like grapefruit jizz and... <laughs> <laughs> and um, things like that. And he said, you're going to dig really deep in the earth and you're going to do like Jevons, like double dig style, which mm-hmm. now it's interesting. Like side note, I don't think he does that anymore. I'm very much into no till as a whole, like we're mm-hmm. always learning and growing and evolving and trying new things and, and in effort to be in more harmony with mother nature, all of the life, the ecosystem that's under our feet. I brought, I got, a, got, I got, 30 cubic yard truckload of horse bedding dumped on the front lawn. It was never a lawn after that. It's all now mulch and leaves and the Chinese house. And I layered that with tens of thousands of pounds of food waste from Euphoria Loves Revolution. That's how I made my first compost. Nothing what I make like what I make now, but far finer than anything I could have bought on the market then and now. Mm -hmm. And then I dug. So this gives a bit of a picture of the backyard. I dug two feet down in my clay earth that was bean fields before a movie star first lived in the house in the early forties when it was built. I dug two feet down for 13 beds that are four and a half feet wide and 15 feet long. I put all that earth through a one fourth inch screen and I took out all the rocks and I mixed that 50 50 with the compost that I made and I planted in it. And sure enough, that first season that I grew, word got around and some of the finest garden designers and landscapers in the city came into my backyard and said, what the heck are you doing back here, kid? And they would say, don't tell me it's your compost. And then they became my best compost clients. Uh, But that was the beginning of the beginning. And Michael, the first book he gave me was John Jevons. It's a great title. Yeah, how to, how to grow, grow more, more vegetables. vegetables than you ever thought possible on less land than you can imagine. Yep. So that that book is not a comprehensive book on biodynamic agriculture. He takes a few elements, not all of them, and it, biodynamics really is a holistic system that's that's not necessarily meant to be taken from a little bit here and there, um, but to to be done as a as a holistic system. But that's where I first learned about that word. And I didn't even really know what it meant then. And I didn't get into biodynamics more until a few years later, but I would say I kicked it off with, with John Jevons biointensive method with that mixing compost in really deep bone and blood meal and planting the plants in a hexagonal pattern and, and the living mulch, the leaves touching and living mulch shaded soil. So that was the, that was the beginning of the beginning. Excellent. And describe your farm right now. What does it look like these days? Because I know I've seen pictures of it in the past, but I've, I mean, <laughs> what's it look like right now? 
there was a period there from like 2009 to 2000, all the way till 2016, 17, where it was a truly thriving urban mini farm that produced thousands of pounds of vegetables, particularly baby greens that I love to sell to chefs and restaurants. And I did lots of tours and workshops and had schools and summer camps. And so for all those years, all those beds were rocking. Oh, but then wait, no, starting in 2012, my first compost troughs were behind the garage in this 20 by 20 space, which you can make a lot of compost in. But when I got, when I met my second mentor, an elder biodynamic compost master, who uh, is is from a a lineage of some of the world's most dedicated masters that dates back directly to Rudolf Steiner, the founder of biodynamic agriculture, which now I consider myself the the youngest torchbearer of this lineage. When we first made compost in the backyard in more space, and I said, I can make this for people. I can make this available for people. There's nothing like this. And he said, you can make 30,000 pounds back here. And I knew at that moment he meant making it where I had dug all these beds, all my blood and sweat and tears and hundreds and thousands of hours. Of, mm-hmm. And I knew at that moment, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make all this. So after 2012, some of those beds, there was these 20, 30 foot long compost windrows over the beds, like out of a pastoral farm scene. Mm-hmm. And so then there were maybe like, eight beds going and 15,000 pounds of compost. And you can see like in pictures in different years, like where the windrows were and where the garden's growing. And so it changed around, but there was, there was then suddenly lots and lots of compost being made. Um, and it became this like boutique handmade commercial operation back there. Um, and so anyway, cut to now, uh-huh. I mean, there's all that I had this chapter making it on farmlands in the Santa Monica mountains, and then moving up to Sonoma and mimicking what I did with my hands for hundreds of thousands of pounds with big machinery, with a five cubic yard loader bucket that can pick up a truck and, uh, compost turner and a $200,000 trommel screen and semi trucks driving down the state. Farmers could hardly get it in Northern California. I brought it all back to LA and sold it where in the, (laughs) in the land of my native land. Um, anyway, and then back home, back to LA. So now some of my compost is made on land in the Santa Monica mountains and some, my, my experiments and my, my constant, R&D for my new product is made in small quantities in the backyard. And I grow right now, I'm growing like five beds. Um, I just planted two. They're all, all brandy wine tomatoes and Italian basil. That's all. There's no need to grow any other tomato. <laughs> just, just, just heirloom brandy wines. That's it. That's and, and then I'll have, and then I'll have a mix of, I've been in and out of town a lot, but I'll have a mix of uh, my favorite baby greens of chard and kale and collards and arugula and um, some other summer crops. I kind of like to grow more of less things. And then um, I'm not really selling so much these days, although I do have kind of my old short list of my favorite hyper-local CSA clients who like, I'll just shoot them a text and then I'll be like, it's on the doorstep to pick up anytime. They'll leave me cash in the mailbox. And and sometimes (laughs) I, sometimes I donate to organizations or here and there, different events and things. So yeah, I'll grow lots of um, Persian cucumbers, uh, I love okra. So I grow lots of okra. And as you know, as well as anyone on earth, it's just 
you know, every vegetable we, we grow, like there's that hard broccoli that's on the, the, the catered plate with the ranch dressing. And then there's the broccoli we grow that's tender. It's like candy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so the same with the, you know, everything like the Oprah, it's like when I grow Oprah, it, it's like, it's like another vegetable from what's sold at the, you know, like the Indian markets. Yeah. It's um, a big difference. Well, this brings me to my next question, which is because we, I want to talk about biodynamics for those who don't know what it is, what makes it different from organic gardening practices? I know. Huge question. Let's try and keep it like the basics. Yeah. 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 And I, and I like to think that I bring the cosmos down to earth, so to speak with biodynamics, because it is very heady. It's very intellectual. and, And a lot of practitioners are very into this, heady philosophical intellectual esoteric practice theory right. philosophy the worldview and i am smitten with it more than anything because of the results that i achieve and i just i believe in it and i think it brings along with my own personal spirituality i love the attention and intention that it cultivates and I have, let me see if I can get this sound bite in. This is something, and I say this about me and my own ethos, and it really comes from me, but I also say it about biodynamics. It's a, it's a, or the first part is very much biodynamics. The second part really can be replaced with my own, the way I move through the world in my agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, but biodynamic agriculture is a holistic system of farming, gardening, food, and nutrition, as well as a social ecological and economic movement that is rooted in the awareness of the interconnectedness of all life on earth, as well as the greater cosmos, and that restores and elevates the symbiotic life-sustaining capacity of mother nature so that soil, plant, animal, and human communities can truly thrive. Well said. (laughs) It's a, it's a mouthful and I know from when I teach about the concepts of biodynamics, I stick to these like four things, right? So farm is living organism, recycling of nutrients and an integration of livestock, right? Which usually that in the form of specifically dairy cow manure, right? Mm -hmm. Because the concept is that the dairy cow has is a sacred animal and the you know all of the digestion that happens and its four stomachs makes very pure manure etc right and then integrating the lunar cycle into the system which you talk about bringing the cosmos down to the land that's the what essentially you're saying and i'm blanking on the fourth one right now because you've said so many beautiful things <laughs> you got but, it that's great so but, far Basically, it's, it's preparations. preparations, right? So there are these preparations numbered 501 to 508 that are fermented usually in an intestine, which is why I'm not doing biodynamics myself because I'm vegetarian. But do you make those preparations yourself or do you purchase them because you can do both? Both. Okay, let me start from the beginning. So farm is a living organism. Yeah. Great. There's a whole lot to say about that about this awareness and understanding of seeing and treating and being a part of and facilitator and steward the land, the animals, the plants, the soil, and the interconnectedness of it all and how that shapes how we, how we farm and our relationships 
the dairy cow manure, number two, as far as recycling of nutrients, all animal manures, whatever, and all animals that are on our farms and all of our resources using all our inputs, essential, and farms that have to uh, import from outside the farm are seen as like a sick farm mm -hmm. that we, that farms should have all that they need on their land and in a closed loop system. So the dairy cow, yes, there is an element and I love this element. However, in a way it's neither here nor there. You don't need to believe in it. And I like to say that, you know, Steiner didn't create the system for, for a bunch of like philosopher queen and king farmers, whether you believe it, quote unquote, or not, you, know, you, you take the oak bark, you put it in the cow skull, you bury it, take it up. And that's one of the preparations. So I'm going to, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. So the dairy cow, yes, sacred animal, tranquil, serene being. It does not lose its energy. It does not waste its energy on stress. Like the other animals, the horse <laughs> and the chicken <laughs> do. So yes, that is very much there, but let's push that aside for a moment. Yes. The optimal hormones and enzymes in its four stomachs, its superior digestive system, its manure is much more ready for the soil and the quality and the physiology and the biology of it is superior. So the sacred spiritual stuff is beautiful. I dig it. I jive with it. But at the end of the day, we follow the directions and we reap the results. We reap extraordinary rewards. Mm -hmm. And I believe it truly is the most advanced form of agriculture humanity has ever known. It is the most regenerative form of agriculture. It is regenerative agriculture in its highest incarnation. So the lunar cycle, yes, and it's more, much more than just the lunar cycle. The near and the far planets, mm -hmm. the greater cosmos have a profound role and it is more than I can speak about intellectually. And though I do give an introduction to all of these core elements of biodynamics of this holistic system, I am very much about just hands-on doing it and making it, being a maker, a manufacturer, and a farmer. And so other people are more, you know, like professors, right, of, of law. They're like into professing about it. And, the intellect, and that's great. And they're not necessarily practicing law. Like I'm out there farming. I'm out there doing it. And so, yeah, I get the principles, the concepts. Mm -hmm. And after a point, you want to take an advanced class, like they're like heavy hitting biodynamic philosophers out there. And, and they're, they're there for that. So, and, and why I like to say this is because really, because of course, and I kind of, it's like, I almost don't even want to mention it. biodynamics. It always has to have a stigma along with every article that's written about it, everything, but people don't always believe it and say it's pseudoscience and dance around a cow horn. No, what we're doing is like you take cabbage and put it in a salt brine and proliferate lactobacilli, good bacteria for our guts. And we know a lot about the gut brain connection now and having those microbes in our guts and really like just eat a lot of fiber and like, we're good. Get a lot of fiber and die. So we are doing the same thing when we take manure and put it in a stuff it in a cow horn and bury that cow horn. Yes, there is a relationship to the cosmos that's happening there. But let's forget that. What we are doing is we are growing life in that cow horn. We are fermenting the manure and we are taking it out. It is highly potentized. And just like taking a small amount of yeast to leaven bread, a pinch 
and a small amount of culture to turn milk into yogurt, so too do these very, very, very small amounts of specific plant materials that Steiner chose from the entire plant kingdom that hold the respective elements like sulfur, silica, magnesium, and a host of others. They are in the form that is most available for the soil and plants when they are used in very homeopathic amounts, just like the yeast and the culture, they have profound effects on the soil, on plants, and on compost. So that's what we are doing on a, a real, measurable, quantifiable, biological level. Now, there are practices in biodynamics that are just becoming to be understood from our very incredible, but also incredibly limited way of identifying things, which is our Western science, which is amazing and has extraordinary merit. But we are just now in this like second decade of the 2000s, first and second decade, coming to see that, like verify that, wow, what Steiner said almost a hundred years ago was right. How did he know these things? Well, he was, many say, one of the greatest luminaries of human her story and history. Um, like, um, so many other prophets of different times and ages, and that he was a clairvoyant, a conscious clairvoyant. He was a, a philosopher, a teacher, a scientist, a farmer, many things. And he didn't, he didn't advertise a group of farmers had to practically knock down his door to get him to share with them in the series of lectures, um, that is in a book called the agriculture course, which is not light reading, that only much later came to be known as the biodynamic method. He gave them the answers as to uh, why their soil was depleted of vitality, why their seeds didn't germinate at the rates that they used to. And this is namely, of course, due to harmful human farming practices and industrialization. And he gave them the answers for how to restore this vitality to the living skin of the earth. And it is profound, it is profoundly beautiful. And the different preparations that we make are intestines, yes, is one, but uh, we use other organs of different animals and some are hung in the sun, some are buried in the earth. They are done in different and very specific ways because these organs also have the optimal hormones and enzymes and other biological stuff for the fermentation that we do to proliferate specific types of microorganisms, namely. And so there is this very metaphysical realm and the relationships of these elements and the plant materials that are fermenting and their relationships to the near and the far planets that these elements are found in the near and the far planets. And that even though we can't see it, you know, we can't see things like um, magnetism, but we know through exquisite observation that, that it exists, how magnets attract and push each other away. We know that these relationships also exist. But again, neither here nor there. We're making sauerkraut, kimchi, tequila, and, right. uh, and then we're using this stuff in small quantities. And these handfuls of fermented dandelion, yarrow, stinging nettle, oak bark, valerian flower, all plants that we know, very small amounts of them, when they're put into a compost pile of 20,000 pounds, have a profound effect. 
and they do all sorts of extraordinary things. There are different lovely illustrations that tell about them, and you can find them on my website, uh, which is uh, my Facebook business page, facebook.com forward slash Wingrand Farms. And it, and it tells the uh, tells about the relationships and about um, specific benefits of each preparation. So that's the, say, the fourth and final core pillar of biodynamic agriculture. Awesome. <laughs> Ta-da! So I think you pretty much have already answered this next question. You know, a lot of people are composting in their backyard. They're turning garden waste into food in their garden or food for their garden. But you're operating, obviously, on a completely different level. And I know the preparations are a big part of making compost in biodynamics. So is there... Other than what you've already said, what else makes biodynamic compost different from just mixing browns and greens, if there is anything else? <laughs> because you've yeah. said a lot already. It's a great question. And I, back in the day, when I learned about biodynamics and really understood what it is, what it means, what the implications are, how extraordinary and special and sacred and insightful and ahead of its time it is, and, and how much I revere it and appreciate it. There were different things that happened. I, I would say every once in a while, you know, someone would like say that they were are biodynamic or you and I, and I always go, Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, what does that mean to you? Um, because that's a word. And this is why, you know, these kinds of organizations exist like that, like copyright and protect words. So Demeter, the world's only biodynamic certification organization is very protective of that word. And when, you know, organic quote unquote has come to not necessarily mean much of anything. Yeah. Biodynamics, they are, they're very protective of, and there's a really, it's the highest standard of agriculture in the world. And even Demeter has their, like, it's only so high. Once the director of Demeter told me, he was like, Stephen, you're, you're, you're the ideal, man. We set a standard and you exceed it. Things like <laughs> using organic alfalfa hay in my compost. And um, he also said, you're the Billy Graham of biodynamics. Yeah, you are. Oh my God, you are. <laughs> <laughs> the compost evangelist, ladies and gentlemen. So like I was, so I making this compost and calling it biodynamic. One day I learned about Demeter. I didn't even know that a certification organization existed. And I said, well, I gotta, I mean, I gotta get, I, it's, it's biodynamic. So I should be able to call it biodynamic. And so I understand why, you know, like these words are regulated. And so not just anyone can use it and throw it around. And also, you know, certification is quite expensive and it's mm-hmm. a big deal. And that may, right now it makes sense. And I'm not, I, yeah, so it, it probably always will, but it may, you know, sometimes farmers for different and, and valid and what worthy and respectable reasons, you know, they are, they're, they're more than organic. They're beyond organic, but they're not bothering with certifications and that, and, and certifications are largely, I mean, so it's like when you don't know your farmer, ideally, you know, your farmer and for many different reasons, that's not always possible. But when we know our farmers and we, you know, we're face to face with them and heart to heart and we trust them and we can always, when we can even, it's not always possible, but visit them and ask them about, you know, so when I was saying at the beginning, like, I didn't know what questions to ask. Like the question to ask is how do you grow your soil? 
what are your soil fertility practices? And then we learn about like, what are they doing? Are they just dropping nutrients in their water? And they have these, you know, 10 syllable long words. They're like, really, is that organic? Or like they're, you know, they're, they're buying municipality compost. that's it's made from green waste with everything from dog poop and motor oil and every pesticide that's sold at home Depot, like in, in that compost. And some of it's disappeared because, uh, the compost process is profound and some of it's not disappeared because some stuff is persistent and because compost isn't made as a high art 99% of the time it's made, especially in industrialized manufactured settings, or are these farms rotating their crops and using cover crops and deep mulching and making their own compost? And what are their sources? What are their inputs for their compost? And the farms in the highest circles of agriculture and certainly the Winbrand farm, the compost is the centerpiece, is the, the pride and joy of the farm. It's the it's the fuel for the engine. It's the lifeblood. Yeah. So biodynamics, um, I can make awesome rock and compost. And it's that I'm not using the preparations. And I learned from my um both my mentors and my biodynamic compost mentor that the highest ideal as making compost is a high art you don't turn it much or you don't turn it at all. Is that biodynamics? Yeah. Is that also like, was it around before Rudolf Steiner and like people just did that more than likely. Probably. So, <laughs> yeah. so there's a lot of crossover and a lot of, you know, common things. I mean, in biodynamics preceded the organic movement. I would say only one way, like the or- organic agriculture is kind of like a bare bones, watered down offshoot of biodynamics. I would say, okay, yeah, what makes compost biodynamic is the use of the biodynamic preparations. And that can literally be like ordering the preparations, even in starter form, in powder form for small piles from the Josephine Porter Institute from, for Applied Biodynamics. And that organization exists to, amongst other things, to make sure these preparations are accessible for farmers around the world. Because for many reasons, not every farmer can get access to uh the uh, a stag bladder and a cow skull and um and it's a lot of, yeah time and energy and know-how to make them but we can still use them and incorporate them and beyond that steiner does talk about and and his students talk about these ways to um to treat the compost pile to cover the compost pile with a layer of what we not think about as, as mulch, a thick layer of straw, for instance, to insulate it and regulate moisture. And basically things at once old and new world techniques to create and maintain. And these are my words, and this is what I do within biodynamics and in my own ethos and, and evolution that is mine, that is Winran Farms, is to create and maintain the ideal, the optimal conditions for the most efficient breakdown of organic matter into humus, which is what we're looking to create, a state of aliveness that is the most efficient, most most virtuous housing for all of the life. Yar. Awesome. Yar. Well, speaking of all of the life, you just launched a new instant compost tea and I want to know. I have it. It's sitting right there on my day, my table. I am looking forward to using this. What should I know going into oh, it? Gosh. So lots of you connoisseur boutique advanced gardeners who listen to Christie's podcast <laughs> will know, have, have an understanding and awareness about 
compost tea, but I think many more gardeners have no idea what it is. And people will see it and think, what do you drink this stuff? It's tea. Tea, right? (laughs) So gosh, the first, and you know, I did, I took so long. I'm a perfectionist and this label is packed with words and I whittled it down so much. And there comes a point, I mean, you know, too, with your books, you just got to be done. It is what it is. You have to say it's done. And, and you ran it by me. You ran your label by me at least three times, I think (laughs) before (laughs) you're like, I, cause I was like, you should be on the podcast. And you you were saying, you were saying, I'm not ready. It's not ready. When it's ready, I'll let you know. I'm like, okay, we'll just wait. (laughs) (laughs) I was still in hibernation. Right. Yeah. So this, this product though, is it's an instant tea in that you can either use it in your brewer, right. To brew active aerated compost tea, or you can just mix it into water, right? How do you prefer that people use it? If you're making actively aerated compost tea, of course it is not instant. However, it is an extraordinary ingredient for your actively aerated compost tea. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. And the idea behind this, this, you know, at at once ancient and always, and like new concept here with like tea and biologicals um, that so many don't know about are just starting to, to have an awareness of is that to, to make compost tea, the actively aerated stuff, I'm just going to say quickly what that is, is putting some compost in water with an air stone so you're oxygenating the water and also with foods for the microbes because there are of course ideally potentially there should be a bunch of microbes in that compost and then you're feeding food sources like molasses to brew more bacteria and the fish hydrolysate to grow more fungi and other foods like that and potentially we're growing many 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 more microbes. However, we have to have the quality of compost in the first place that has a whole bunch of microbes or we're not doing anything. And this is the elusive, the, where do you get this compost? It's almost mythical compost. Well, there anything on the, on the market in bags where that, that you can find that in enter Winbrand farms, 2012. If we are taking that compost and putting it in water, and liquefying it. And so on my directions, basically you take it by the tablespoon I give a reusable tea bag and you put it in the tea bag. It's like a 600 micron tea bag, big enough where all the micros are the biggest fungi can get through, but hopefully small enough to filter out particles that might clog a sprayer. However, I do say filter appropriately, depending on the sprayer you're using, because everyone's got different sprayers of, I don't guarantee that it won't clog them, do what you need to do. So when I, when we put the, the tablespoons, in the tea bag and massage that organic matter. We are separating the microbes and all the soluble nutrients and minerals from the organic matter. Right. Technically called an extraction. Technically we are, it is compost extract, but that's not nearly as sexy of a word as tea. And it's also even more confusing as if tea wasn't confusing enough. So tea, it's like, we're thinking it's like, okay, it's like a solid that's like brewed. That's, that's like turned into a liquid. And then we use it, we pour it, we spray it, we flick it. So yeah, so you massage it for a minute until all the soluble material dissolves through it. 
And then you're left with a very small amount of organic matter in that tea bag. And then you stir it up for a couple minutes. My magic wand is a toilet brush. There is no <laughs> second. Use a dedicated one or we use whatever one you want. I don't care. Yeah, but I say I a dedicated toilet brush. I went back and forth with saying this on the bag, but it really is. It's got this long stem, this rigid stem, and thousands of bristles. And when you when you dip it in a five-gallon bug, you stir it up and dip it in a five-gallon bug and take it out and flick it, you've got tens of thousands of drops with millions of microbes each in there. And it's a really effective way to flick onto the foliage, onto, onto the leaves of plants and onto soil. You can pour, you can take uh, one or two tablespoons or more if you want, you can't use too much and put in a gallon of water and stir it up and pour it on one plant around the base of one plant around a potted plant inside. You can take it and pour it on one four by eight garden bed and you can spray it on up to 500 square feet isn't that confusing no not at all it's fantastic because it make no it's about making something go a long way and it's so it's economical in that way i think that's that's fantastic you can use it you can use it in very different ways right yeah maybe it's not confusing to a lot of people and i'll love that i think that in my own critique of my own label, it leaves the consumer, the customer with a lot of questions potentially. And that's okay. Where I got it to, part of my hope is that it creates awareness and educates and, 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 and inspires people to dig deeper and learn more about this realm. But I'm really, I have realized and in working with my um, colleagues and teachers and amongst other people, some of the world's premier uh, soil scientists and biologists and farmers, understanding that when compost has an extraordinary abundance and diversity of life in it, I mean, tea's great and we can brew even more, but we don't have to, we don't have to brew it overnight. We can liquefy it and use it instantly it's got the biology there they're also friends and colleagues who for instance have been at workshops where like expert tea brewers have come for the weekend everyone looks under the microscope and sees what's in the compost and then they brew it at the end of the weekend they find out they haven't even brewed any more microbes like there's no difference and we can't even know that unless we have microscope skills right and nothing's going to go wrong unless, of course, something does go wrong and it turns anaerobic and then it's not as good as it started. You don't even want to use it. But right. potentially we're growing more microbes, but those microbes may or may not be as resilient either because they weren't they weren't born in, you know, in a compost pile that's a year or a year and a half old. And so the resiliency of those microbes, as opposed to like microbes that are from a potion powder tonic that was like generated in a lab are very different. So it's like, we want to make it, in our backyards. Right. So then, and then this, this truly is like, I call it, and this is another thing that I was, I scratched my head about. I'm calling it compost tea. It is much more and other than compost. Christy, have you taken it out of the bag yet? Have you I haven't, it? I haven't even opened it yet. Cause I just wanted to talk to you first about it. So I'm, I'm very excited. And the pictures that you have of it on your website about the, the bacterial glues that are all over your hand while you're holding <laughs> all of it in your hand. It's beautiful. I'm excited to try this out um, because it does sound like it is a truly instant tea because it is biologically active and all of that. So I'm, I'm excited to use that. And it's 
honestly, the toothbrush, the, the toilet brush thing was kind of a tip, a really awesome tip, but it is tip time. So do you have a favorite tip that you would like to share with the garden nerd audience? In addition to everything you've already just said, grow your compost, like your garden. Ooh, elaborate. You know, the vast majority of LA's and everybody's compost files there, you know, they're either an anaerobic mess or there you can read the newspaper print in them a year later. And, right. and yeah, everything will break down like compost happens t-shirt. And like, no, we want to create the exactly what I said. One of those sound bites before the optimal conditions for the most efficient breakdown. We want to create and maintain those conditions. And in different climates, that means different things where it rains a lot in the Pacific Northwest or on the East coast, we don't want our compost to become waterlogged where it's hot and dry. Like where we live in LA, we got to irrigate. We got to water it like our gardens. Mm -hmm. We need to pay this kind of, we need to make it correctly in the first place, the correct porosity. And that's of course, this is way more than the scope of this question, but I just want to encourage you all to experiment, to take copious notes, um, both in your minds and on paper and, to uh, see it through, to not give up. It takes a long time. And this culture is all about instant gratification. And I love the opposite. What I do is such a culmination of extraordinary feats. And it, and so few people even attempt it. And then even fewer follow through with it. But like right now in the spring of 2021, I'm thinking of the end of 2022, the beginning of 2023, for the product that I'm making now mm -hmm. and people want their compost to be done in three months. And my compost sits for over a year. It just calls into question, like how composted is it? What does finished compost mean? And there's finished and there's more finished. And so for instance, when you take this, this humus colloid out of the Winbrand farms compost tea bag, it, it's like a, this light clay, and it has yeah this greasy film and that's from all the microbial activity and the particles are so small so there's also there's extraordinary ingredients in it it's very much about the ingredients but even more so it's about how the ingredients are composted it's compost vermicompost uh, and worm castings for all this biological diversity spectrum it's really taking the time and energy and care to create it with relentless exacting precision and keeping it that way. And that means watering and not dumping 10 gallons on it immediately, but like the shower setting of a hose back and forth for 30 seconds and then not checking it immediately because the water hasn't absorbed, but coming back the next day. And so when we keep the compost like that for, you know, let's call it at least a half year, but potentially much longer, then we have, this, this, when compost is made as a high art, it is a profound product of alchemy that holds answers to some of the most critical issues humanity faces. And when we have the ability to make this stuff, like there's no, you won't even want it. People want to buy it from you. You won't sell it. It's too valuable. And right. the farms that make this in the highest circles of agriculture, it's a labor of love and they make enough for their farm and that's it. And they don't, you can't even pay them enough for it. So it's just so, and then the results in our food, when we give it this time and energy and attention and just really get it, get this art and science and alchemy, 
then we see the results in the vitality of the food, in the, in the disease and pest resistance, in the vigor, in the taste, certainly in the BRICS levels if we measure it. So the reasons are there to do it. Um, but it requires this culmination of attention and patience and trials and, and so much. So there you it. go. All right. Well, thank <laughs> you so much, Stephen, for that expert tip and for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. What a great pleasure, Christy. It's so great to uh, be on our journeys together through yes. <laughs> uh, over a decade now and to see each other uh, grow and evolve. And it's amazing to see all your writings and books and how far your reach and impact and, and inspiration has become. It's great to be on the journey with you. Well, I am glad. Thank you so much. And and speaking of reach, how do people find you? Phone number's on the bag. It'll be at more and more nurseries in Los Angeles, um, the Compost Tea, and the next evolution of Windbrand Farms Biodynamic Compost will be uh, returning to the market really soon. That'll probably only be uh, hyper-locally available in Los Angeles. Though I always get a kick out of when people want me to ship them bags. Um, <laughs> it's so mail. expensive. Oh my God. I love it. Um, you can find me facebook.com winbrand farms you can go to winbrandfarms.com it just goes to the facebook right now but that website it's it's just been under construction for a decade but it'll That's be up fine. soon <laughs> awesome uh, instagram oh. Winbrand farms so say i'm sorry say that again instagram winbrand farms yeah and it's w-y-n-b-r-a-n-d-t-f-a-r-m-s got it all right, Garden Nerds, you'll find a link to Stephen's Facebook page on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also share links to his photo album from the beginning of Winbrant Farms and all his social media stuff, too. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. And you'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1 on Facebook. Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!